Totally Football Show. Today, midweek action. Chelsea beat Spurs in clash of two London sides who both have keepers who don't know when to leave their goal. And Liverpool return to life. We ask, why do the pool always put five past Watford? And why Huddersfield always beat Wolves? Plus, the weekend, you say Fox, we say Rogers. Is Brendan's Leicester move the most synonymtastic appointment ever? All that plus foreign stuff in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. listener in the pod today for you we have from the offside rule podcast lindsay hooper hello hi lindsay notice i didn't say from the totally football show podcast i know but thank you for letting me keep your seat warm no well thank you for coming in and doing it did you successfully navigate any black runs this is what i haven't found out yet from monday yeah i mean I i did the skiing and you did the podcast so so very well. Thank you. Thank you. Hope it won't be awkward today with you being back in the kind of... No, I like it over here. It's good. Right, it's okay. Fine. From every other podcast that you've ever heard, James Horncastle. <laughs> That's me. And yet to meet a stat he didn't like, although he came close this week, I think. Duncan Alexander with a fascinating piece for the BBC. We'll be discussing some of the high points of that later on. Hi, James. Hi. A lot to talk about, as ever, with football... But among the big stories, Liverpool having their usual five-goal win over Watford, everything now sorted out at Chelsea, and Brendan Rodgers turning up at the King Power just in time to see Leicester beat Brighton after trading in immortality for mediocrity. As, I thought uh, that was a bit harsh to the Celtic fans, given that Leicester have won a Champions League game after Christmas, which is something Celtic never have. So. Right. OK. And as uh, Jonathan Northcroft was pointing out in the uh, the, the very excellent and, and very well-titled Brexit Totally Scottish Football Show special that was out on, on Tuesday evening, it's, it's kind of karmatic payback from Leicester to Celtic uh, for the hoops pinching Martin O'Neill back in the day from them. Steve Guppy. <laughs> of course, Steve Guppy as well. I did yeah. like Rogers' first comment as Leicester manager, which was, I was in no hurry to leave Celtic says the man who leaves them in March. (laughs) I can't get my head around it. It's completely baffling. Why wouldn't you? I mean, there was all this talk about there being an interim boss, Mm. potentially, and what's happened the other way, Neil Lennon may be filling in for a while. Why didn't he take that option? Leicester weren't going to go down this season. Why didn't he finish doing the treble treble and then go and not have any of this animosity around his departure? I just don't understand it. And then I was listening to some of the discussion around it and there was a £6 million payout clause that Leicester had to to make. And I wonder if there was some pressure from Celtic to want that money, Mm. to say, actually, we want you to go now. And it's not really one of the discussions that's been made, because he seems to be the big bad wolf in all of this, going to the Foxes, see what I did. This is all from last week, filling in for you, James. But I, I don't understand really the logic behind it from his point of view, if it wasn't something like that. Right. The, I mean, the logic... It's an interesting one because he's been hailed as a, as a managerial masterstroke by Leicester. But looking back a year or two, he, he left the Premier League as something of a kind of David Brent-esque figure. Yeah. So, but I also think they would have waited for him. Mm. I think they would have waited until the end of the season, got an interim. Maybe yeah, I'm, I'm Barcelona were going to come in for him. or Another good selection of quotes from Rodgers because he does provide good quotes. I think my favourite one at Liverpool is when he said, I love to run on the streets around here. I love seeing the people going about their business. These are our people. I love running late in the afternoon when the doors are open and the dinners are on and you can smell the mints cooking. (laughs) 
<laughs> the Rocky That's, of Liverpool. It's great. I love that. It. Is that is so evocative? I like the smell of mints. I have always said you can live without water for many days, but you can't live for a second without hope. Or Colo Torre, who he's bringing with him as part of his backroom team, which oh, really? is an exciting detail. Yeah, from behind the shower curtain. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're all having a chuckle, but I think the consensus seems to be that this is a brilliant signing for a young team that doesn't have any overt problems beyond the fact that it all gone very stale under Claude Puel. I think even though Rogers is open to parody for you know his various teeth whitening sort of exercises, those runs that he used to go on and be photographed, you know, sort of mid stride going into the what Hope Street Hotel. Yeah, he is a cavalier attacking coach who's who's got some big ideas about the game. He has brought through a number of young players, both at Celtic and at Liverpool. And I think the profile of that squad is actually pretty exciting, you know, in terms of the talent that they've been able to assemble. I would say it's definitely the best squad outside of the top six, the most balanced squad outside. Lindsay, would you agree? Well, given that the latest announcement as part of this story is that he's also going to be given a war chest to spend, 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 then yes. I think I think <laughs> yeah. actually they, they have got to be the next seventh team. Hope he doesn't fill the um, war chest with mints, because that would be a lot of mints. <laughs> it would be a lot of mints. <laughs> Could they be the next team to do a Leicester? I wonder. Uh, of course, and he's, he's so famed for his ability to bring through young players as well. Another great quote, I, I believe, kind of echoing Whitney Houston here, I believe a young player will run through a barbed wire fence for you. An older player looks for a hole in the fence, he'll try and get his way through it in some way, but the young player will fight for you. <laughs> I, always, I always loved his death by football comment as well, you know, you know when you put like hundreds and hundreds of passes together. Mm. Anyway, he was there receiving the warm applause of the King Power crowd for a slightly uncomfortable victory, but a victory nonetheless for Leicester midweek. 2-1 over Brighton, who are now squarely in the middle of the relegation mire, only two points above the drop. Let's start then after this. Oh, Duncan, you've got something you want to throw in here. No, No, I was just going to say that was Brighton's 63rd Premier League goal, but their first proper one. Nice. Davy proper. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, let's get that and so much more when we begin our proper midweek roundup after this. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Big midweek winners were Liverpool with that 5 0 victory over Watford. A sorely needed result that. Firmino was the problem then. Well, I think on a more positive slant, we can probably conclude that Trent. Alexander-Arnold is the most important player to Liverpool. Their kind of wobble has come when he's been in and out of the team with injury. They're collecting 2.6 points a game when he plays versus 2.1 when he doesn't. And he obviously got three assists in the game, which before this season, no defender had ever done that in a Premier League game. Now we've had Carl Walker-Peters do it and now Trent Alexander-Arnold, which is great for hyphenated players, but also shows how fullbacks are becoming, you know, the key kind of position really in the Premier League. And obviously Andy Robertson assisted the other two goals so and someone asked me actually whether this was the first time five goals has been assisted by defenders in a Premier League match and yeah it is it is Trent Alexander-Arnold's return was huge but was it the only factor in in this sudden uh, rediscovery of Liverpool's verve no I think you have to look throughout the team and you needed 
you needed a performance like this that had a little bit of swagger to it. And that came in that second goal from Mane, that back heel. And I think that was one of the things that really lifted the crowd as well. Um, but there is no disputing that in terms of man of the match performances, that goes to Trent Alexander-Arnold. And Watford, you know, we talk about how come they keep conceding so many goals, certainly in recent times, up against him in particular, mm. they cannot handle his pace at the back. They just cannot handle him. Well, they certainly couldn't on Wednesday night. Manny now on to 14 goals for this season, mm. which is his, his, his best tally for Liverpool. His header was astounding because, I mean, it was, I thought it was too high for him, that cross. And he not only makes it with his leap, but manages to direct it past Foster. Yeah, for me, much as Trent Alexander-Arnold takes all the plaudits and gets the assist, I thought Salah was brilliant mm. last night. I mean, he completely destroyed Adam Messina. I felt really bad from Messina. I thought he, he some stage just had to come off because he was just being completely toyed with by, by Salah, who looks who looked fresh, completely back in, in, in his best tormenting form. And uh, yeah, exactly the kind of performance I think that Liverpool felt they needed to give um, in order to get that confidence back, not necessarily within the team, but outside the team. Right, yeah. ahead of the big game yeah. this weekend. Also receiving praise for Binho, David Young saying, was his tracking back challenge on Dini on Wednesday the best tackle of all time? If not, what is, <laughs> says David. Probably the one that, uh, was it Daniel or Christian Maldini did on, on oh. Clarence Seedorf? That's, legendary. That's a legendary yeah. tackle, that is. Or Cannavaro's in the advert. That was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Are you talking about the Nike advert? I am. Is that Cannavaro? Yeah. Yeah. Che Cannavaro. Are we talking about the one in the kind of hellscape? No, no, no. no. Okay. That was Maldini. That's Maldini. That's, yeah, Maldini. that's great. All great tackles. Non-canon, though, let's be honest. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, so there you go. So Liverpool uh, roaring back into form. They remain a point ahead of Man City, who enjoyed a narrow 1-0 win at West Ham. Duncan, have you got a stat about Man City? It was an odd game. It was the Athletic Stadium Classico, which is always good to see. But City dominated, but just couldn't really score. I mean, it's quite interesting. It was, if you could imagine Liverpool had won 1-0 with a penalty and... City had won 5-0 then the narrative would be very much Liverpool are, are cracking up and City are too good but that hasn't really been the reverse hasn't sort of been said so it was a routine win Yeah so you look at the possessional stats and shots overall and City did dominate but they didn't dominate in the fashion that they have done in previous matches which is shots on target so in the first half they had one of 11 shots on target so there was something missing here I also think and I, it's horrible to highlight players but I thought that Riyad Mahrez was disappointing that was his first Premier League start this year since the turn of the year and he didn't really do anything to hold on to that position in fact I felt that probably one of City's best players Bernardo Silva who came on and then switched over to that side demonstrated just how important he is mm. and maybe highlighted even further what Mares is missing. Now, I don't want to be too harsh on him because he hasn't had that many chances to prove himself. But when you do get a start, I think that was an opportunity for him to impress Pep and, and I think that was maybe an opportunity missed. Right. One thing Mares is missing was the penalty at Anfield as well, which is essentially why City are second and not first at the moment. Aguero's now got as many Premier League goals as Brighton, Blackpool and Huddersfield combined, which is nice for him. That's the stat I was looking for. <laughs> Sergio Aguero on his own, as many Premier League goals as Brighton, Blackpool and Huddersfield combined. I just enjoy repeating. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we should say that City had just played 120 minutes in, in the Carabao Cup final and were without Laporte, their best defender, and Fernandinho. And we all know how problematic that has been for them 
in the past. So, you know, this I think is- that mitigates for the one, a normal one they'll win. And it's also, of course, narrowed that gap in terms of goal difference back down to six. And that could be something that towards the end of the season plays a big part. Absolutely. Well, maybe they'll wind it out again this weekend because Man City are taking on Bournemouth while, as we mentioned, (laughs) Liverpool are up against Everton. Watford, meanwhile, are going to be at Leicester. Watford have been in such terrific form before this game. And once again, they ship five, at least five goals against Liverpool. Why does it always happen? Because you've got different managers in charge of the Hornets. Well, they always come a cropper at Anfield. I know that Wolves went back above them purely on goal difference because of how many goals they shipped. And I think against Leicester with Brendan Rodgers, that new manager bounce, you would go into that match thinking that they potentially could come away with nothing again. They do have dips, but I do think under Gracia, they've looked the best that I've seen them in some years. Oh, for sure. I was just curious as what it is about Anfield, that even with different men in charge, they always have these Maybe spectacular it's, defeats. It's, it's become part of Watford's DNA. Just as you and I know that every two or three years, James, Roma will lose a game 7-1. Watford will lose, you know, by five goals at Anfield. It's it's the way, you know, the stars align in and what you give with one hand with Watford, they taketh with Palace. That's so very true, Lindsay. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with potentially the most significant midweek result of all. Huddersfield beat Wolves midweek. Wolves now represent 43% of all the points that <laughs> Huddersfield have won this season. They are now, Jan Seifert's side, 13 points from safety. Can they do it? They're facing Brighton next, you know. If they win that game, I mean. Well, also, James, it bodes well should they go into the championship because all of their, well, 79% of their points have come against newly promoted teams. Mm. So they're clearly too good for the league below, you know. Absolutely. Okay. Now, uh, Wolves very much not too good for, for Huddersfield. Lindsay, you, no. you're our Wolves correspondent. Yeah. What happened there? And the time before. Because well, this was their first victory since they last played Wolves. And Wolves' first defeat since January the 14th. Remember this run of form that Wolves have been on. They've they've been in supreme form. I, I can't say anything more than Wolves really didn't want this game. I felt that Huddersfield wanted it more. They quelled the threats of, of Neves and Doherty really well. Um, they limited the space in midfield, which they did the last time at Molyneux, and I was there for that, that game. And... I don't think that Wolves were very successful, which they have been in recent games, of setting an early tone and a tempo to a match. They didn't do that at Huddersfield. I thought that Jimenez was really below par. I think he's someone that I've been raving about. But I think perhaps these players are tired. And I think Nuno Espirito Santo hinted at that in the post-match. It's like you said, without Wolves, Huddersfield would be on eight points. They'd be heading for an all-time Premier League low score. So um, we've done our bit of charity for the season. Um, (laughs) I I think if we have an ambition, I say we because you know that I'm a Wolves fan, to be a top six club, then I think we need to address the form against the lower teams. So of all the lower teams, I think the bottom five, in the current bottom five as it is, we have only beaten Southampton. So how can you take that and try and be a top six club, which is what the Fosens are saying they want to do. Mm. So that is definitely something that needs addressing. I do think that you look at Huddersfield's team, they had eight changes. I think things need freshening up for Wolves as well. And that's something that I think will happen against Cardiff because players are getting tired. All right. Huddersfield looking, they've been feisty in other games as well. But did, was it, did they just get the luck they'd been missing in other matches? Well, they kept going and it was I think it was a crunching tackle on, on Ruben Neves, which sort of um, starts the move for, for the goal. And uh, Aaron Moy came, 
I think he came on and he was the, the guy who put the ball into the box. He's such an important player for them. Even so, I mean, come on. It's uh, beat Brighton and it's ten points. But they, they've it's now overtaken points. Derby's eleven point total, so they can't they can't match that. But they are five goals behind Derby's twenty goals from that season, which is the record low in a, in a top flight season. So there's there's still that to play for. So it's exciting times. Oh, very much I had, um, so. A water cooler discussion with some of my colleagues at the Premier League about Huddersfield and if they go down, which players could be taken by another Premier League team. One of my colleagues was saying none, even Moy. But I, I honestly Which believe that... colleague was that, Lindsay? Oh, I couldn't name and shame. But I think that Moy and Billing are two players that could do a, a really good job for someone else. So the summer transfer window, I think those could be players that would be taken away. I see. Also midweek, Chelsea took on Spurs. Chelsea managing a 2-0 win from just one shot on target. Pedro with the their, their opening goal... And then, of course, that mix-up between Trippier and Lloris. It looked like Pedro was about to be substituted just before he scored. It was nice that he showed Kepa a legitimate way of not getting substituted. Just score a goal <laughs> and you can stay on for a bit. It was a bad night for Lloris, who was at fault on that opening goal. Well, and also he, in the first half, passed the ball straight to Pedro, um, who then, I think, gave it to Hazard, who teed up Higuain, who, who missed. And yeah, I think some of the distribution from Yoris again was pretty poor. But they just Spurs were unable to kind of create anything. I think Son had uh, an off night, and credit where credit's due with Chelsea. I mean, they've kept twenty-two clean sheets in all competitions this year, which I don't think many people were expecting when they when they got all the hype about quote unquote Sarri ball. But they've had a, quite a lot more solidity than people to give them credit for. That I think it's just skewed by the Bournemouth and City defeats, you know. And and again, this was. Pretty impressive from Chelsea, given all the 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 potential for to be destabilised by mm. what happened with Kepa, for the fact that they could be distracted by it. This was going to be a real sort of measure as how much authority Sarri still had on the team. They played 120 minutes and had a day less to prepare. And yeah, they didn't play particularly well going forward, but they took the chances and, and, and got another win against the top six. The only top six sides that Chelsea haven't beaten on the Maritza Sarri is Manchester United. He's beaten all the rest. So right. First thing to ever stop a Pochettino team having a shot on target in a Premier League game mm. as well. So Harry Winks coming the closest with one that uh, crashed off the frame of the goal. Yes, yeah, Sarri playing down the Kepper incident, punishing the player, outplaying Spurs, getting the crowd back on side, stabilising the situation. How long will it last, James? Well, I think that's a that's a massive win for him, and they've got a game in hand, mm. which would put them on this if they were to win it, and it's at home against Brighton, mm. who have been really poor away from home and haven't won a game in 2019 in the league. Put them level with whoever's in fourth. Yeah, and and, and he said yeah. that you know they they now feel that they can drag Spurs into this top four top four battle. I watched this on on Sky Italian. He was interviewed in Italian after the game, and he was asked about his future, and he said. You know, you're all writing that I'm under pressure. I don't feel the pressure. I've spoken to the club. I'm serene about it. I can sleep comfortably at night. In fact, I had a two-hour nap this afternoon. I was great, so, great. you know, <laughs> yeah. so. He also hinted, didn't he, that he he might actually rest Kepa for a second time, but that it would only be a couple of games. Mm. So um, I, I actually think a lot of this match, though, we should be talking about Larice now because... I feel that he is past his best and I think he's been showing that on and off throughout this season and I do wonder if that's the next position that Spurs need to address is goalkeeper. Well, Gazaniga's looked particularly good when he's played in the in the Carabao Cup so I think a lot of Spurs fans have said that they feel that he's ready to, to take over. Lloris has had a, a weird season because he's in some games he's been brilliant 
And then some games he's been very, very bad and, and Chelsea yeah, was a very bad one. Everyone's talking about the, the howler. I mean, we all know about that. But even the first goal, I thought that it, it went through his legs. Mm. And I thought Pedro was quite fortunate. I, I do agree. Was the own goal, was that his fault? And also his Agabar, who says, considering Trippier's own goal, what are the panel's favourite own goals of the season? Of With, the season? Yeah, of the season. I'd have to go into Bundesliga, I think. Stuttgart, did you see the throw-in? <laughs> it was Ron Robert Zieler okay. in goal, and it was a throw-in that was taken, and it just went past him into the net. I'm sure that your listeners can find that on YouTube, but it was pretty much a cover-your-eyes I mean, moment. The standard one to go for is the, it's not this season, but it's the Chris Brass one, Darlington Berry, when he, he tries to hook the ball clear in his own area and, and smashes against his nose, and it goes in the goal, so... <laughs> We should say that Trippier should be under just as much scrutiny as, as Lloris because right. I think Spurs fans have been quite dissatisfied with him for, for some time now. Be it the performance against Wolves where he kind of played Panfoyth into all kinds of trouble against Barcelona. Okay, you're playing against Barcelona and Messi had one of his great nights but three assists I think came down his side from Jordi Alba. So I think for that goal in particular both should share the blame because Lloris comes out and Trippier fails to look up well no Tri- Trippier did look up when, when Lloris was on his line he then looked over his shoulder to see if anyone was running after him and then he looked at the ball and then just played the ball he's like ah okay damn. the rule is you should never play it on target because then if the keeper misses it it'll go out for a corner but in this modern world where you know keepers receive a lot of short passes players are just you know they're not they're not obeying the rules anymore <laughs> How big does the game this weekend with Arsenal now look for Spurs? Well, it does because, I mean, Arsenal can go within within a point of, within of them, point, even yeah. though, you know, a little over two weeks ago they were 10 points behind Spurs. And, you know, Arsenal are in, are in great form since that defeat to City. They've won, what, four of their last five. Um, he's reintegrated some players into the team who we thought were kind of gone. Mkhitaryan uh, looks like a new player. Yeah, I was only just saying a few weeks ago about how I, I thought he was quite disappointing. Suddenly he's he's providing all the assists, getting mm-hmm. goals. Mr. Ozil. It's almost like they were playing yeah. Bournemouth or something. <laughs> <laughs> 5-1 anyway, the scoreline for uh, the Gunners. Uh, Jan Vertonghen, has he picked up a hip, hip injury? Is he going to be yeah. a doubt for this weekend? I think that was a precautionary measure with this weekend in mind. I don't know any more than that, James. Right. I'm not Spurs' doctor, I'm Well, afraid. Spurs have lost their last two Premier League games. The last time they lost three in a row, Duncan, was... I don't know, November actually. 2012, when Villas boas was in charge. And the third game was against Arsenal. It was, and the scoreline was 5-2. Wow. Look at both and the rest of their run-ins for the season, mm. and you're saying that it's starting to swing towards Arsenal if they win the North London derby. Yeah. Because... Spurs, as we know, who are going to have a huge say in where the title goes, have still got City, Liverpool. They've also got the Dortmund clash in the Champions League, which is going to take a lot out of them as well. If they get any further through that, they should do. Everton on the final day of the season. I just think that Arsenal's fixtures are a little kinder, apart from Man United that they've got at home, which will be a big test. But They're very kind. I think of the, the teams that are chasing top four, Arsenal's running after North London derby and playing United are by far the best my concern about Arsenal is that even in this 5-1 win against Bournemouth, Eddie Howe was saying it after the game, we played awful and yet we seemed to create quite a lot of chances mm. and just didn't take them. And Arsenal's record away from home is still poor. They haven't, they've only won once in the Premier League since the end of November on the road and that was against Huddersfield. 
And you look at their performances against the top six on the road, they've conceded two or more goals in all of them and haven't won any of them. So every chance this weekend then that the gap with Spurs could be back out to seven rather than yeah. narrowed to one. Perhaps the bigger danger for Tottenham Hotspur and their top four ambitions are Man United who stay fifth, one point behind the Gunners, thanks to their 3-1 win at Crystal Palace, a fixture that we had confidently suggested was going to give them all sorts of problems <laughs> on Monday given the state of their, uh, their their injury list. But Fred played, mm. so did uh, Diogo Dalot. Yeah, as a right winger. Which you know, he was signed as a, a fullback, and you know because of the injuries that United had, he played there because of Palace's threat on the counter attack with their wing play. It's seen as maybe quite a defensive move to play a fullback all the way up there, and yeah, he's played there in Porto's youth teams. And again, it was a kind of show of 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 what a good job Solskjaer is doing because you know they had ten players out injured. Mm. We talked about Dalot, but they also played Lukaku, who's had to basically play out wide because of Rashford's form, played him through the middle. He could have had a hat-trick. Um, I mean, to be fair, that's that's yeah. playing a very expensive centre-forward down the well, middle. Well, my favourite thing about Solskjaer last night was the question was put to him, you know, all these injuries, how do you explain it? And his, his answer was, it's Man United. Just, just like the, we have the kind of United, yeah. it's Spurs. All of his answers were, it's Man United. Yeah. So when he put on James Garner for the final five minutes... Afterwards, he was saying, you know, he's got everything to be the next Michael Carrick. And one of the journalists said... I thought Sean Longstaff was the next. <laughs> well, well, one of the journalists then said, don't you think that's putting a lot of pressure on a young player's shoulders who only played five minutes for the club? And he was like, it's Man United. So, I mean, <laughs> it seems to be just Solskjaer's well, answer to everything. To Man United again. Well, somewhat astoundingly, that's the first time Manchester United have ever won eight away games in all competitions in a row. So, again, as James said, you know, it's... Solskjaer's building up a pretty good CV in a in a fairly short time. So Daryl Cole tweets in, he says, what would be your argument for not giving Solskjaer the United job? Is there anyone here who... I mean, we've, we've had plenty of people in who say, no, I, I don't think he's ready for I it. I was he's in the intro. no camp just because historically caretakers do well and then clubs appoint them and then they sort of fade. The, the Craig Shakespeare effect, as it's known. But as time goes on... It's well, harder and harder. Can you, as time goes on, you've got to sort of start going back on your words... I still think that everybody around him is also worthy of that praise. I think Mike Phelan is doing a lot there. I think there's there's some of the other coaches at Manchester United, which I think are a little under the radar in terms of what they bring. Phelan was the guy that when Moyes took over, got rid of, and Ferguson was very much against that, obviously. And he's back now, and like you say, he's doing really well. So, yeah. Phelan initially excellent as a caretaker manager at Hull City when mm. Steve Bruce left, and then it all kind of fell apart. Solskjaer's brought the feeling back in in, a, <laughs> in every sense. Okay, all right. Well, uh, what are Man United doing this weekend? They are playing a football game, James, right. in the Premier League. At home to Southampton. At home to Southampton. Mm. Yeah, Southampton looking to go three unbeaten against United for the first time since the month Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade came out. Of course, Southampton, who are fresh from beating Fulham. Uh, moving themselves back out of the bottom three, leaving the Cottagers 10 points from safety. Cardiff, meanwhile, midweek moved back into the bottom three, getting beaten 3-0 at home to Everton. That's now eight goals they've shipped in their last two at home, while Newcastle sprung a real surprise, I think, for many observers by putting two goals past Tom Heaton and Burnley. They are now six points clear of the drop, Burnley five, but that's their fourth straight home win now. We had a quick mention of Sean Longstaff earlier. You can't move across 
online football media mm. for seeing references to Sean Longstaff and a great line, for example, in Football 365's profile on Longstaff where they say, Mike Ashley's tight fist in us has squeezed Newcastle coal and produced a diamond. A lot of comparisons there with Michael Carrick. Rafa Benitez says, yeah, I can see that. But at this stage, Sean has more mobility and plenty of stamina. Certainly has the technique and he can use both feet well, which he certainly did here, scoring his first goal for the Magpies. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, he's really taken his chance. I mean, it's hard to see where John Joe Shelby and, and Mo Diame get back into this team now because... As Benitez was saying afterwards, he's, he's struck up a really good kind of understanding with Hayden and obviously he's got upside. He's part of the feel-good factor that there is at St. James's Park now along with Almiron. They now have balance in that team. They're not just a, a side that kind of looks to you know wear teams down, soak up pressure and then hit them on the counter-attack. They have got a little bit of drive and creativity and they've got the best home record in the Premier League in 2019, um, Newcastle now. Longstaff's a great name as well. He could yeah. be in Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, or something like that. I mean, it's just... Longstaff. Longstaff. Or other kinds of uh, <laughs> cinematic productions, indeed. Nine goals he scored last year, which is not bad for a kind of defensive midfielder, which is what I understood his role to be. Did you know that his uncle is a former Newcastle winger, winger Alan Thompson? His mother was a netball player, and his father, don't know how he smelt, but he played ice hockey for Great Britain. Ice hockey! Sporting family. Yeah. yeah. You were making the point, Lindsay, that Tuna win over Burnley is no mean feat these days. Yes, in the office before we came in, I just said that, you know, that was one of the form teams, wasn't it, Burnley? So I think this result spoke volumes. When you look towards the bottom of the table, I think you start to worry less about Newcastle and worry more about Brighton. Yeah, you certainly do. Yeah, I think we should mention Fabian Shah's goal as well because it was. Possibly goal of the season. Mm-hmm. Could be. Goal of the season. Over Townsend's. Yeah, that's a fair shout, actually. But it was very, for a defender, that was pretty good. For a um, defender, yeah. as a defensive goal, yes, mm. I think it's up there. Okay. I think the last defender to win goal of the season was Glenn Johnson. Is that Portsmouth. right? Yeah, so it's been a while. Toilet seat stealings. Indeed. Not while he was scoring the goal, that would be. That was an amazing goal, though. So amazing that I actually remember it. With his wrong foot as well. Can yeah. I just say as well, I didn't mean defensive goal. I was just thinking a defender's goal because yeah, a defensive no. goal is, you know, you're, you're blocking at your end and you manage to score from about... Lindsay, it's OK. Kieran Trippier, that's what you want for a defensive goal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's a huge weekend in the Premier League. We'll be talking more about that later on. Three derbies, James. Three. <sighs> But there's also all sorts of exciting fixtures going on around Europe, and there have been some pretty good ones midweek as well. So after this, it's the other leagues. Hi, I'm Rodri Giggs. You probably know me for being related to a famous sports star. That's right, my dad did play rugby for Wales. I've always lived a loyal life, always use the same brand of tea bags, I always drink in the same pub, and always support my country. Questions will be asked. You see, loyalty gets you nowhere. Live for rewards instead. That's why I'm Paddy's Rewards Club ambassador. Paddy Powers Rewards Club. Loyalty's dead. Live for rewards. Season season by 18 plus. Begamblerware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Duncan, you wrote a piece for the BBC this week about pointless stats. I did. Yeah. yeah. Why? Because uh, they asked me to, so I said, okay, yes. But Twitter is full of people saying, this is a pointless stat, this is the most meaningless thing I've ever read, which right. hurts my feelings deeply. Okay. But what I did was I went through and, and found some numbers that at first glance might look good, but yes. 
possibly aren't. Okay, for example, the Jorginho one, which I've been guilty of, of touting, the fact that he makes thousands and thousands of passes without ever setting anybody up for a goal. Yeah, which is, as many people pointed out to me, even though I had pointed out in the article, mm. that isn't really his role, but he still got four assists last season for Napoli. Yeah, and he's already... 1,280 passes so far. It just seems statistically improbable that one of them wouldn't accidentally well, exactly. end up he's being Well, exactly. He set a new record. Um, it used to be the preserve of Barry Ferguson. Right. Lots and lots of passes and no assists. But, um... And so you called him the naturalised Italian Barry Ferguson. Yeah, which I believe I'm the first person to do. But. Almost certainly. <laughs> My favourite stat in an excellent, very entertaining piece available on the BBC website was that there's only been five hat-tricks in Premier League history by players who've ended on the losing side in a match. Two of those five scored by... Matthew Letizia. Of course. The others coming courtesy of Dion Dublin, Dwight York and Rocky Santa Cruz. Rocky Santa Cruz. Yeah. What are the great names? Yeah. Right. Now, ooh... This midweek, the She Believes Cup got underway. The She Believes Cup, this is the fourth edition of this invitational women's football tournament held in the United States, featuring national teams from Brazil, England, Japan and United States. The opening game, lo and behold, saw Phil Neville's England beating Brazil 2-1. We have to mention beating Brazil, don't we? Mm-hmm. Beth Mead, if we're talking about goals, she scored a cracker. So, um, And Ellen White's wasn't Although bad either. I did see it suggested in commentary that... She, she might not have meant it. Yeah, that it was a, a cross. I think she did meant, I, meant it. <laughs> I think she did mean it. Yeah. Well, let's give her the benefit of the doubt. Fantastic start for Phil Neville's side. In a tournament that's seen FIFA taking the opportunity to introduce some new rules. Yes. I thought rather interesting. The, the main one that I think we could potentially see being rolled out across world football is that when a substitute is made, instead of having this long, agonising, time-wasting process that happens on occasions where people walk off at a snail's pace and get the standing ovation, it's not going to be good for a hat-trick hero, might I say. But what they've done is they've asked for players to just come off at the nearest possible boundary. So no longer have they got to walk across the whole of the pitch, which I think is a good rule to introduce. But I'm looking around. We're getting some nods here from Duncan. and I'm a little bit disappointed when when somebody builds the fact there were new rules. I thought it'd be something a little well, bit no, this more. This is about effective time, James. Yeah. So it, it, it means Keeps that we get to see there. more of the game. And you, as a critic of VAR, I'm thinking that takes too much time. I mean, this is surely a good thing. In that no, no, it's a good thing. I just wanted something a little bit more lead, dramatic. Yeah. It could lead to some incidents, obviously, when players have to uh, walk past the fans of the opposition team. That's true. Yeah. True. Theo Walcott true. style antics could occur. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Well, you can see just how effective it proves in the She Believes cup incidentally your other podcast your day job Lindsay. to Mm. be fair the offside rule is going very strongly at the moment and you've got uh, man united manager casey stoney coming up yes that's going to be our exclusive interview with her tomorrow so it's all ahead of um international Day. yes so it will be out on the first of march and one of the interesting things that she raises and any fans that follow women's football might be aware that the attendance figures since Since the league moved in line with the men's league, which was the start of this August, so this season, the women now play a winter league, whereas they used to play a summer league, for any of your listeners that don't know. And the figures that have been banded around because of Manchester United being introduced make it all look rosy. Mm. But I think what is interesting from this interview is that Casey is saying this is a bit of a false figure because you take Manchester United away and the actual attendance figures probably would be down. So... 
has this been a success? And I think with the the fixtures and the scheduling that goes on, this is one of the big debates in women's football, trying to get that right. right. So it'll be interesting to see what, what people make of that. And um, and also, of course, she talks about the, the World Cup and what, how she thinks England will do and working with Phil Neville and her time at Manchester United. So that's all covered. Very good. OK, that's from tomorrow. Quick update from James Horncastle. Yeah, Rocky Santa Cruz is still playing. James. Really? Is he? Where's he? He's back in Paraguay. Nice. He's playing with uh, Olympia and uh, they had a 3-2 win against Libertad um, at the weekend in which mm. he he scored. Oh, yeah. He scored 10 goals in a season, yeah, because famously in Europe, he played all those years in Europe and only scored more than 10 in one season, which was the season that got him a big money move to Manchester City. Huge. Yeah. Almiron would know all about him. He would. Wouldn't he? Because Paraguay. Because of Paraguay. Because yeah. Paraguay, right. Okay, now in Italy, midweek, it was Coppa Italia, six goals over the two semi finals. Uh, none of them in, in the clash between uh, Milan and Lazio. Michael Cox tweeting, mm-hmm. very disgruntled that after 90 goalless minutes, he's now got to wait eight weeks until the second leg. Uh, yeah, this is normal. Yeah. <laughs> this is how it, it's been longer, it hasn't it? Yeah. In 2010. Uh, the first leg was on February the 4th, second leg, April the 21st. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, teams like Atlanta and Fiorentina, who are not in uh, Europe, yeah, there isn't a fourth cup competition in, in Italy. Obviously got a lot of pressures on their on their fixture list. Yeah. It's an amazing <laughs> thing, though, isn't it? Uh, Atlanta and Fiorentina, who shared a, a 3-3 draw in, in Florence on, on Wednesday night. In world football, Duncan, can you think of a, a cup competition which sees legs more... Widely spread than those. No. <laughs> no. I, I'm loving the gesture as yeah. well with the hands. No, not really. I mean, I do, I've got a deep love for Italian fixer scheduling. It is a bit more zany than other competitions. I think, was it the 2000 Olympics where they couldn't decide on a schedule because it was in Sydney? So they basically waited till the Olympics were over before releasing the league fixtures. We once got a request from AC Milan saying, We've got to play three games in in six days. Is this a is this a record? And we said, we used to play games like every day for a week back in the fifties. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, in Italy this weekend, uh, I think they now finally settled the kickoff time of the mm-hmm. of the derby. Have they? Yeah, it's uh, Saturday evening. Saturday evening. Okay, that'll be on uh, Premier TV. Yeah, in in the UK. Of course, I mentioned that because they're, they're giving us a bit of help with our Golazzo podcast in which we preview the game, mm-hmm. look back on some of the great memories of recent derbies mm-hmm. and, and also forward to the other huge match which is taking place in Italy, first against second on Sunday night, Napoli against uh, Juventus. Yeah, just the 13 points between them. Right. Germany, big game going on there, Lindsay. It's second against very distant third, Bayern up against Borussia Mönchengladbach. Mm, and, mm. and Bayern aren't that far off now, are they? They're closing in. Three points Three behind points. leaders Borussia Dortmund. In Spain, big game there as well. It's the second Clasico of the week. Real hosting Barcelona at the Bernabeu, where they were on Wednesday night. And Barcelona beat Real 3-0 in the f- second leg of their Copa del Rey semi-final. Mm. Just reiterating Real Madrid's poor form against Barcelona at the moment, which is not something that will please their fans. They've winless in their last five against them, and they've also lost their last four Clásicos at the Bernabeu when Gareth Bale is featured, a man who's been in the news quite a lot 
recently yeah. because is he ostracized he he did a tweet this week which seemed very focus grouped um sort of Alan Madrid yeah <laughs> yeah so we'll see if he because plays he, he didn't his celebration at the weekend didn't seem at all focus grouped no he scored the winner against Levante and then angrily shrugged off a teammates who wanted to celebrate with him and trudged back to the center circle maybe they revealed the the golf scores before the end of the game because this is the story about him that he's obsessed with with golf apparently well, they, they refer to him as the golfer which sounds Spanish like the best press. netflix series not yet released yeah does him yeah the golfer series okay. two episode four okay uh so anyway he's not been uh, having too many appearances i think just two starts in the last eight gareth bale yeah and yeah, we'll see if he features in this game. Well, you think he would, but given the amount of chances they missed against Barcelona, mm. I'd say a lot of that was down to Ter Stegen's outstanding form, the uh, the, the Barca keeper. But a huge three nil win, a classic KO as uh, El Mundo Deportivo built it Thursday morning, uh, and Barcelona going through to the uh, final of the Copa del Rey, which will be held at Real Betis's ground in Seville. And they'll be facing their either Valencia or Real Betis themselves because they're awaiting the second leg of their semi-final 2-2, the first one. Anyway, Barcelona back in Madrid this weekend. We'll get the views of Alvaro Romeo on how that goes on Monday and also looking forward to what's coming up in the, the, the Champions League uh, midweek in, in Monday's uh, Totally Football show. Hey, here's a continental question. Cov mm-hmm. into pit GB says, will Icardi play for Inter again? And if not, where is his most likely destination? I think he probably will again yeah. play for Inter. Certainly what uh, Wanda says they want him to do as well. Right. I was just curious because, again, he didn't feature in in, uh, in, in Sunday night's game against Fiorentina. Mm-hmm. And uh, they expressed themselves, he and Wanda, through social media a lot. And I think it was yesterday he put out a tweet with just the single word, Liberty. Oh, yeah, no, freedom. Mm-hmm. And it was on his baseball cap that he's been wearing. It says freedom as well. Was he replying um, to Gareth Bale? Perhaps. <laughs> no, he the, won't be captain again, will he? No. Um, but there's been a lot of focus on his baseball caps and the messages that are on them. Okay. Yeah. Maga. Make Icardi great again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very good. All right. Well, uh, mentioned before that uh, whilst all those exciting games are coming up around the continent, and if you want to hear more about the Rome derby and... Napoli, Juventus, then make sure you listen to this particularly choice edition of Golazzo, which is out at the moment. While all of those excitements are going on, bang, the Premier League has cooked up some pretty tasty fixtures of its own. We'll talk more about those and the final part of this Totally Football Show. Yeah, the weekend's fixtures, Duncan, they all kick off Saturday lunchtime at Wembley with the North London derby. Mm-hmm. The round comes to a conclusion Sunday evening with the Merseyside derby at Goodison. And in between, you've got the incandescent and bitterly fierce West London derby at Craven Cottage. Packing in the big games. Yep. The uh, Wembley will be the simulation derby, I'll call it. Eight of the 18 bookings for simulation in the Premier League this season have been for Spurs or Arsenal. So right. don't believe what you see, maybe. Okay. That didn't make your article about meaningless stats this week. No, no, I was saving that one specially for you. Thank goodness you did. Merseyside derby then. Uh, Last time it was uh, an Origi winner in the 96th minute that took the three points for Liverpool after Jordan Pickford's error. Everton this time arriving after that 3-0 win against Cardiff. That was their first game in 17 days. Their first win in three. Ended a run of five defeats in six. Did that pause allow Marco Silva to kind of 
gather his forces, reboot, go back to basics, whatever it is that that beleaguered managers do. Uh, Phil Jagielka, that could have been what he was working on, who has played three games a season and hasn't lost any of them, which is reasonable. Oh, I mean, yeah. he nearly gave uh, yeah. Cardiff a goal in in the in the game on what was he's it, Tuesday night. The, the owner of one of the great Merseyside derby goals. Oh um, yeah, at Anfield. So you know he'll be up for it. You'd imagine he'd keep his place. The Merseyside derby the last time as well. It derailed Everton's mm. season, didn't it? And I wonder, could it have a huge say now in maybe getting it back on track? Because if they did spring a surprise mm-hmm. and know that they've also affected Liverpool in their title race then it could be the impetus that they all need. They have a rotten record at home to Liverpool in the league. It's very unlikely, isn't it? They're on the worst ever winless run against Liverpool, which does have to end at some point. point. Yeah, Yeah. I think it has to Um, end at some point. Liverpool have already got more points this season than Everton have in 25 of their previous 26 (laughs) Premier League seasons, which will rankle, I imagine. But think of the opportunity here Mm. for Everton to maybe throw a spanner in the works of the season where Liverpool look likeliest to win uh, the league. No one's lost it from the position that Liverpool uh, are currently in. Mm. Imagine if Everton could, you know, send them into some kind of spiral. Yeah. But I mean if you look back at that first Merseyside if... derby of the season, James, yes. that was one of the one of the games where you f- reflect on it and think, this is Liverpool's year, isn't it? Because if you know that that Origi Pickford kind of fiasco, if that if if that's one of the things that goes for you, you think yeah, and Origi it's... could have a say again because he featured in the last round of matches. I think with Firmino out, he's likely to get some game time again. So it would be, it would be quite poetic, wouldn't it, if Origi got the winner again? Gilfie Sigurdsson with two goals in Everton's three 0 win against Cardiff. Yusikwe was fantastic in in that game. Did you see his? But assist? he didn't become the top scoring Icelandic player in the Premier League. <laughs> he didn't. He it... did that with his left and his right foot. Yeah. yeah. Now in right was able to name the second highest scoring Icelandic player in the Premier League on Wednesday's match of the day. Uh-huh. But I wonder if, he, if he'd if he know who was third in that particular classification. Duncan? Well, I, I do know. Shall, so shall I spoil it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Heide Helgeson. There you go. Who has twice as many goals as Herman Hreiderson. OK. So what's going to happen this time between Liverpool and, and Everton? I think even though Everton had had that 17... 17- they rest. I think some of their players, yeah, Schneidlin played well the other night, but I don't know if he can play again so quickly after this game just because of his sort of physical frailties. Um, I think Liverpool, in the form that they were in against Watford, it'd be hard for any team in Europe to live with them if they can repeat that that kind of performance. So, boom. Liverpool says James Oncastle, mm. Lindsay. If Everton were to score first, yes. then I think it will be a very tight match. But if Liverpool end up um, with the the first goal, then I think they will go on to win fairly convincingly. I so see. I think three one if Liverpool score first. If Everton score first, I'm going to say one one. Crikey, Duncan. Yeah, I think Mane's the key man. I mean, he actually played central against Watford, and Origi played wide, which surprised a few people. And I think that you know he he looked really good in that position. And you know, as Lindsay says, if Liverpool score first, it could be a pretty comfortable win. Absolutely. Or not. We'll just have to see. You have to wait and see. This weekend in the Premier League. But uh, if you're hungry for big football related events on Merseyside, let me just remind you that Monday, the 25th of March, Totally Football Live is going to be happening at the Epstein Theatre. Duncan, you're going to be joining us on stage, us in this case being Rory Smith and Sasha Gurianov. Yep. 
That's very exciting. Sasha Gurionov, who's got a really busy weekend, he's, I, th- I think he's going to try and get to all the derbies this weekend. The ones in the Premier League, not... Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be impressive, yeah. He did, didn't he do the same in the reverse fixtures? He probably did. Yeah. He loves derbies. He does, doesn't he? He loves football. Sasha. He does. You know. He was at... Um, and football loves him, Don't we all? Is yeah. that not why we're here? <laughs> to the extent that Sasha does. I mean, I think there's different kind of relationships you can have with the game. And Sasha's is a very full-on, all-consuming kind of obsessive. It, you know, it, in romantic terms, he would be the Glen Close, close boiling bunny mm. uh, kind of love. He's I the think. home and away season ticket holder. Still hasn't got an yeah. Oscar. Who? Glenn Close. Wow. Well, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, regarding <laughs> Totally Football Live in Liverpool, you can get your tickets now at epsteinliverpool.co.uk, Monday, 25th of March. Great. Okay. Now, uh, elsewhere in the Premier League, Liverpool's title rivals, Man City, are at Bournemouth, who have now conceded more Premier League goals than Huddersfield this season. I just don't understand Bournemouth. They. They get smashed every week and they're always 10th, 11th or 12th. Yes. So they've broken the, the league. Do you get points for catching your gum without looking? Should oh, do. yeah. That was impressive. I yeah. love that. Eddie Howe. That is Eddie Howe's philosophy. Right. OK. A Bournemouth, to be fair to them, among recent results, they did have that incredible win against Chelsea at the Vitality Stadium. So given that City will be without several key players again and, and looked anything but sparkling midweek against West Ham, is there a chance that the Cherries might do something? Well, I mean, uh, David Brooks was back on on the bench, and you know, I think they've they've missed him. He's been one of the revelations of of the season, not just for Bournemouth, but in the Premier League. Ryan Fraser was that just a purple patch at the beginning of the season because he just seems to have lost something to his game as he well. He finally conceded a foul against Arsenal. He hadn't conceded a foul all season, then did two against Arsenal. He's mad Ryan Fraser, like mad Frankie Fraser. <laughs> Regarding City, uh, they've got a 100% record against Bournemouth. They do. And Raheem Sterling has scored in every game he's played against Bournemouth. Is that right? Yeah, including that winner last season, which was quite key early on to sort of set the tone for City. So, I mean, yeah, normally you'd say Bournemouth maybe do have a chance, but I really can't see it. Okay. Man United are hosting Saints. Well, you're going to Solskjaer saying that as many as 10 senior players could be out, but they are Man United. Any chance of Saints... Continuing their march away from the bottom three there? I mean, the vibe for this game is going to be very different to the reverse fixture. Because if you remember, it was the Mark, uh, Mark Hughes' Southampton against Mourinho's United. Oh, yeah. And uh, Saints went 2-0 up, looked OK for about 10 minutes. And then United roared back to 2-2, looked OK for about 10 minutes. And then they both just descended into into bleakness in the second half. So you'd think this game will be a bit more upbeat, at least. Right, a little bit more life-affirming. Newcastle will be visiting West Ham, who beat them 3-0 in December at St James's Park. But those were different times. They were different times. Although I do think these are two teams that eventually, probably next season, because I think Newcastle will survive, are sort of on the same trajectory. I think I can see them being similar sorts of teams. So I would go for a draw for this one at the moment, because you've got Newcastle in form, West Ham... I think maybe not their best that they have been in the season, but still have players like Anderson and Antonio's look great recently. So I think it'll be a draw. Okay, Burnley, who just got beaten by Newcastle, will be hosting Palace. Wolves will be hosting Cardiff, which could be feisty given the the animosity, the tension between. Oh, have they? Yeah, that was sad. Right. Neil Warnock said that um, Nuno Espirito Santo gave him a squeeze oh. and now they're friends. 
Okay, Neil Warnock also said that people need to get in the trenches as Cardiff dropped back into the bottom three. Not sure a trench would help in a, on a football pitch, but or maybe it would. Don't know. I don't know. Newport seemed to. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's yeah. important that Wolves react actually from the Huddersfield match for this one because there is a quarterfinal of the FA Cup around oh, the yeah, corner. You, you know, you look you look at fixtures that are coming up for Wolves as well, yeah. and they won't want to be rolled over for this. Absolutely not. Brighton are up against Huddersfield. That's a huge game for Huddersfield's survival bid. And Brighton, James, mm. because Brighton's still winless in uh, in 2019 in the league. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I mean they haven't they haven't won a game. No one. So ever... the, they're the only team in ha- what the top four tiers of English football. Exactly. Yeah, in 2019. Wow. Will that change as they host the formerly hapless Huddersfield this weekend? Two London derbies, Duncan. Mm. Fulham Chelsea's the big one. The numbers here say it's going to be an eight 0 win for Fulham. What? What? Well, because Chelsea's. Re- <laughs> I'm just looking at Chelsea's recent away form. <laughs> Uh, they lost 2-0 against Arsenal, 4-0 against Bournemouth, uh, yeah. 6-0 against City, and I'm no statistician, but 8-0 is clearly it's the next pretty number. pretty much nailed on, yeah. What happened to 7? No, because it's gone 2, then 4, uh, then 6. Yeah. Could Sarri you know, switcheroo <laughs> this? You know, everyone was expecting him to be sacked, and, and poor old Claudio. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, that's not gone well, has it? Not only... Have they, he's, not, he's not improved them defensively, mm-hmm. but now they've stopped scoring goals as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Fulham's only win against Chelsea in the last million years, pretty much, was 2006. They beat them 1-0 at Craven Cottage. And quite interestingly, this was the game where Mourinho made a double substitution before the half hour was up, when Chelsea managers could make substitutions at will and the players would come off. Nice. Fulham just haven't recovered from their team that brought them into the Premier League just being completely dismantled. And I don't think Ranieri even has addressed that yet. And they, they for me, are going down now. I, I can't see them getting out of it. Two London clubs, one Spurs, one Fulham. One spends £100 million on players, the other one doesn't. One's in the bottom three, one's in the top four. You do the math. One lost to Chelsea, the other probably will as well. There you go, yeah. there you go. OK, uh, the other London derby taking place this week is Spurs-Arsenal, as we mentioned. Pochettino has apologised for berating Mike Dean at the final whistle at Turf Moor after that defeat against Burnley. We should also apologise because loads of listeners went, hey, when you discussed his his aggressive attitude towards the official, you omitted the fact that somebody, and it looks like Mike Dean, had actually called something out at Pochettino and his assistant as they were walking away from him at the end of the game. Nobody knows what was said, mm. but it was enough for Poch and colleague to turn around and say, don't say that and, and, and go over and, and, and start that whole kind of altercation. Anyway, Pochettino, with his usual class, basically said, I'm not going to make any excuses. I'm really sorry I shouldn't have behaved that way, etc. And they now host Arsenal with Deli Alley back in training. That's good news. Well, yeah, very good. I mean, he... Might even be on the bench, apparently. He helped knock Arsenal out of the Carabao Cup, which was uh, the game that, what was it, Danny Rose said their motivation came from, you know, when they lost 4-2 to Arsenal in December, they saw the Arsenal players all over social media celebrating as if they'd won the league and they wanted to stick it to them because karma is, and then he tailed off. Right, karma so, is. I mean, we, we should hope that this game is 50% as good as the reverse fixture because that was probably the best game in the Premier League yeah. this season. So 4-2 that time for Arsenal. But we, we talked about their terrible away record. 
I think the most important thing is that it doesn't end in a draw because Tottenham are the unmatchables and they are edging ever closer to a top flight record. So what, A whole season without a draw? It has been done before, but the most was Stoke in 1895-96. Oh. Played 30, won 15, lost 15, which is quite a neat little season. That's very neat. Arsenal equally have not, cons- not, not kept a clean sheet away from home, I think I'm right in seeing all season. Right. Is that right? All right. What's going to happen, Duncan? I think Tottenham will bounce back. Alan Partridge style and win. Okay. I think that Spurs will win. Well, I do as well. Okay. I feel, yeah, yeah, I kind of feel enough. under pressure now to, to say Arsenal. Something controversial. I mean, I think Arsenal do probably deserve a little bit more confidence in their chances, given given how well they responded at half-time mm. uh, in the North London derby back in December. The changes that they made, both tactically and the personnel they brought on, Ramsey, like I said, showed kind of a an ability to affect changes in games which was beyond them when Wenger was, well, towards the end of Wenger's time, right. which will give them a chance, I think. think. Can play a few different ways, which uh-huh. I don't think they could under Wenger. So. Willows will keep his place as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. many questions. Answers are on their way. Let's now find out, though, what Paddy Power thinks is going to happen. Producer Ben has been doing the honours. Well, thank you very much, Jimbo. Hello, listeners, and hello, Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, it is a derby-tastic weekend, so let's talk about them. Let's start in Merseyside. Give us the numbers on this one, please. Well, we've priced this one a lot closer than their first meet of the season, but we still favour the red half of Merseyside. Liverpool are odds-on for the win here. They're 4-7. to Everton are more distant 9-2, to and the draw is 3-1. to If you fancy Divock Reed to score the winner again, as he did in December, you can get 5-1 to on the Belgian scoring the game's last goal. Over to North London then, Lee. I think that Harry Kane is going to score here, but Arsenal have the edge and they're going to win. Am I mad? (laughs) Well, we definitely fancy one half of your bet, Ben. Harry Kane is odds-on to score at some point in the North London derby at 4-5, but it's his Tottenham side who make the favourites. They're 5-6. If you do fancy Arsenal, you can get them at 11-4, the same price as the draw. So throw an away win in with a Harry Kane goal and you get a 12-1 same-game multi, which is probably helped by the fact we're offering money back as a free bet if Tottenham win. Here comes the fast bit. Selected markets only, pretty much singles only, max three about £10, T and C's apply. Let's head over to West London then. Fulham, can they win at Craven Cottage against Chelsea, who have been absolutely hopeless on their travels recently? Yeah, this one seems quite clear-cut on paper, but it depends which Chelsea turn up, crisis club or amongst the world's best. Although, given Fulham's recent form, the Blues won't exactly have to be at their peak to get the three points. They're four to seven to win this. So a surprise and much needed, let's face it, home win is four to one for Fulham. The draw is eleven to four. And finally, let's turn our attention to Spain. It's the Clásico again, this time in the league. What's going to happen here? Well, slightly complicated by the fact there's a midweek El Clásico, but despite last night's result, our pre-match pricing is pretty similar here. Actually, Real Madrid again, the very slightest of favourites. They're seven to five, or Barcelona are six to four. In English, that means there's a fraction in it. That said, punters who regularly look at the league will know that's unusual value for either team. The draw, which is always my natural inclination in these big games, is thirteen to five. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's eighteen plus only. Begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. On Monday, Michael Cox and Daniel Story will be joined by Sasha Gurionov, who's apparently outlined plans to produce a band that he's going to be at the North London, West London and Merseyside derbies all in the same weekend. Remarkable. Big plans? Have you got big plans for the weekend, Duncan? Uh, it's my birthday on Sunday. Really? Mm. Who do you share your birthday with, Duncan? Uh, I think Zico is one of them. Oh, yeah? Darren Anderton. So, be a reasonable midfield. Mm-hmm. Took me out of it. 
So. <laughs> okay. Who do you share your birthday with, Lindsay? St. George and Shakespeare. In fact, it's the day that Shakespeare was born and died. Yeah. Because he liked to keep it nice and neat and tidy as well. That's clever, isn't it? I don't know who I share my birthday with. James, what about you? Pep. Do you? Peter Beardsley. Right. And the guy from Cooler Shaker. Oh, really? Christian, Christian Mills. Mills. Yeah. Christian Mills. Oh, I went to see him. Sir John Mills's grandson. Yeah. Yeah. I saw him at the Wolfren Hall in Wolverhampton, part of, you know, when the Cooler Shaker were touring. Right. Yeah. A little known fact about me is that I actually went to school with Nick Clegg, which I found out in less unhappy circumstances many decades later. But Christmas Mills was also at that school. Oh. Right. Do you want me to find out who you share your birthday with? Not that bothered, to be fair. <laughs> Not really. I think they probably share their birthday with me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, good. You no doubt got big weekends, but that's all we've got time for. Yeah, you don't want to know about my weekend. It's boring. Okay then, Lindsay. Now you've intrigued me. Where are you going? Oh, it's, I've just got property things going on. Oh, are you, you moving house? Yes. Oh, brilliant. At some point. And, and, uh, and James, you? Are you heading off to Italy? No, not this week. I'm quite disappointed about that, to be honest. All right. My plans are big. I'm going to go to Solihull Moors as they take on Transfertastic Maidstone United. Ooh. Yeah. Why are they Transfertastic? Because they keep... They sign a lot of players, yeah. They sign a lot of players. Solihull Moors are one of the stories of the season, not just in the National League, but I think anywhere in football. A a team that was battling for its National League survival last season, now very much in the playoff picture. Extraordinary. I love that Moors is in their name as well. Mm. Solihull Moors. It's good. It's where Birmingham City ladies play as well, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Sounds like we're all going to have a great weekend. I hope you do as well, listener. We'll be here on Monday, as mentioned, with Daniel and Sasha and Michael Cox. So do join us for that. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.